0: Good morning, Oikos Church. you excited to be here this morning? Awesome. You get to listen to the guy who forgets things. All right. Four Gs. That's what we're going to be on this week. And so I'm excited about this primarily because I think many of us in this room can kind of feel me here when I say, have you ever felt like you're stuck in sin? Ever felt like you're stuck in sin? So like, you think you're done with something, but then it just reappears. And then you think you're done again, then it reappears. And then you think you're done again, then it reappears. And you get this feeling that maybe I'm just never going to get out of this. Um, but I bet you know that you're forgiven, right? You know you're forgiven. You know that Jesus died on the cross for you, right? So you know these primary truths. You know they rose again from the dead. You know that he has freed you from sin. Amen? You know these primary truths. And yet, most of us probably have felt like we are stuck in sin from one time or another. And I think for the next four weeks as we go through this series, the goal is for us to start identifying why. One of the reasons why we find ourselves stuck in sin is because we have bought into a lie about God. And so for the next four weeks, we'll look at some four or four primary truths about who God is. It's not the complete truth about God. There's a lot more to offer about God than just four things. But we're going to look at four things and there are going to be four G's that we'll look at. When you're stuck in sin, it's something that's not just for our generation. It's something that goes back all the way to the beginning of time. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent or Satan was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Because deception is not about compassion telling something that's just unbelievable. Deception is mixing the truth with a lie. And what we buy into is a lie about God. We think part of it's true, but there's a part that is a lie. Because every time we believe something that's not in God's word, that something else is a lie. Now, if you don't believe that God's word is true, then you've got to back up because that's the norm that I'm using. I believe that God's word is true. I believe what he's written is true. I believe that he wrote it so that we could understand who his son is and what purposes he has for our life. That he has called us into his family. I believe those things are truths of God's, God's word from the beginning of time is totally about redeeming his family. But whenever you believe something different, and that something else isn't in God's word, it is always, always a lie. So when you're driving on I-10, and this is actually us last night, we were driving out to this new place new church plant. It's called New Church. Isn't that awesome? It's a new church called New Church, and this new church is way out in Katy, and Sarah and I hardly ever go out to Katy, and we're driving on I-10, and on the way home, we're coming back, and this guy was coming behind me, and it wasn't Jason, but this (laughs) guy was coming behind me, and it was, he had to have about this much space between his car and our car. And there was a whole bunch of cars in front of us. So there was really nowhere to go. All the lanes were filled. And I'm thinking, and we're going 75 miles an hour. I I just exposed something, didn't I? So we were going fast. And this guy was that close. And I thought, what the heck are you doing? And I was getting angry at him. What if he went ran into us? Now, some of you probably have experienced a car accident. And I'll tell you that every time you get run into on I 10 and you get angry, it's because you don't trust God. And you're like, What? I have every right to get angry if someone runs into me and they're that close, going 75. But it's really because your perspective is, I really don't trust God in this. I believe a lie that God isn't in control. His purposes for me must not be good. Why would he let that car run into me? If I overwork, then I don't trust God. Maybe I believe in a lie that I need to prove myself or justify myself to others. Many of our negative emotions are sinful. They're rooted in sin. They're rooted in not trusting God. In something in our life. The greatest sin or the greatest root of sin is unbelief. Simple unbelief. So whenever we get depressed or bitter, angry, upset, anything that's contrary to the character of God, we are believing a lie that what he does isn't good. He's not quite in control. There are things that possibly are out of his control. And whatever doesn't proceed that's good for us must not be from him. But the truth is, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's what it says in Romans 14.23. It's not the circumstances. It's your posture. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith, sin. I think the problem that you're probably wrestling with right now is that you don't want to be seen as an unbeliever. Right? Because that's kind of like a term that you're like, what? No, because we came to church today. I'm not an unbeliever. But I'll tell you, guess what? Your pastor, at times, is an unbeliever. You're like, man, how did he get this job? Because there are times when I, instead of believing that God is in control, I think he's mostly in control by the way I live my life. See, there's a problem in the gap that we have in our life between the theory of believing that God is in control and then the actual practice of what we believe. Did you get that? There's a huge gap between our theory of God is in control, I believe that, and then how we actually work it out in our life. And it's that gap that causes the tension. So to get into that gap, one of the things I want us to do is recognize that behind every sin— is a lie. Behind every sin is a lie, a lie that you have believed and you have now incorporated into your life. It's the way you practice life. If we believe this it not only gives us gives us a radical new look of the way sin operates, but it also helps us to get onto a road of trusting in God and believing in God. In all things, not just in the things that we may classify are easy. So for the next four weeks, we're going to engage in these four G's. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. That's what we're going to talk about today. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. These are the four things we're going to look at in the next four weeks. And I believe it's going to uncover some lies that we have believed that actually cause unbelief in God. And like I said at the beginning, of course, there are more to God than just four Gs. But these are foundational beliefs about who God is and how we operate in life. So God is great. Everybody God is great. So I don't have to be in control. So I don't have to be in control. God is great. Isaiah 40:12 says, "Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers?" Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Let's take a look at this picture. This is a picture of the universe. And there should be more. Is there anything more? Is that it? If that's it, then I have the wrong picture. But it is a picture of the universe. There was a scale that I was hoping to see And the scale was a small, a picture of Earth. So I'm just going to talk about it so you guys can kind of get this image. A scale of, you got Earth, and then you back off and you look at our galaxy. And you back off and start looking, and by the time you get through this whole scale, our galaxy just looks like one of those little stars within the universe. What I want you to do now is just hold up your hand. So we believe that God's word is true. He has the entire universe then in his hand. And yet, on a day to day basis, we often operate like he's not quite in control. Whole universe, your hand. He has a whole universe in his hand, and yet he knows, he knows you by name. And unlike me, he doesn't forget it. He knows you by name. He has a whole universe. Just think about that. He can see everything in his hand, and yet he can jump into the middle of all of this. And he can pick out and say, Jim Vanderwater. In this, that's our God. He controls everything, but he still says, you can choose. You can choose to reject my love, or you can choose, as I love you, to respond in love. Everything's in my hand, but I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose whether to love or not love. Principally, whether to love or not love me, even though i hold you in my hand, even if you hate me, you're still there. That's your God. How many of you remember a time when computers didn't do autosave? Come on, I'm not that old. Everybody should be raising their hand. That was just like a few years ago. So you were like, you're typing this huge thing, right? For me, it was graphic design, so I would be working on something, and I have this huge thing that I'd spent like eight hours on for assignment in school, and I shouldn't go like this because our screens were more like this. So we're working on our graphic design, putting everything together, 12 hours put in, and then The swirl. And you wait, and I remember one time waiting like an hour, thinking, this swirl will go away. (laughs) It didn't go away. And you lose everything. And what what do you say? You're like, no! (laughs) Or something like that. But what you're actually saying, you know what, God? You don't know best. Right? God, you don't know best. Why did you let this happen? Your rule is not good. Because what just occurred is not good. Why would you let this happen? Or maybe you're driving down Houston Avenue some of you know Houston Avenue and you're a good purpose, you're going to the you're going to get on 45 and you're going to go down to the hospital. You're going to visit someone who's ill. As you're going down Houston Avenue, the dreaded train comes. You know the train, right? If you don't know that train, you know another train. And then not only does it come by, but it stops. And you go, really? (laughs) God, don't you know I am doing something good for you? What is going on here? I don't have, I don't have time for this. You're stuck. You get upset. Or maybe it's, Entering May and you woke up this morning and your AC is no longer functioning. You just spent all your money to make sure that the AC guy will come out because you know it's going to get hot. And now you're concerned about the end of the month. You're not going to have any dollars because it's not like a couple dollars to get it fixed. And we believe in Houston, it's a necessity to have AC, right? So you spend all the money, and you are upset. And you go to work that day, and then your beautiful wife comes with a lunch to try to cheer you up. And all you do is get mad at her because she just spent more money. Or you're trying to help this guy who's homeless. And you've poured a lot of yourself, a lot of your time into this. You've poured resources into it. You've poured your time into it. You've poured your relationships into it. A lot of capital has gone into helping this guy. And everything you do seems to backfire. Backfire. The guy's still homeless. Things seem like he's not changing. And you go, why? What's wrong? I'm doing everything right. Come on, God. Do something. Or maybe you're helping someone who's falling into a deep depression. Depression. You've prayed for them, but this guy still wants to kill himself. And now you're laying awake at night, unable to get to sleep, because you're wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Did I call enough? Did I send enough notes? Did I put it on enough prayer chains? Have I done enough? This is where it gets real, right? When it really hits, do I believe that God is in control? Or is he just mostly in control? We're going to look at the book of Mark. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 4 and 5. We're going to look at a few stories that he gives. And it's about him giving the alternative between fear and faith. And what Jesus says as people approach him in fear. And he comes back and says, all you need to do is believe. Chapter 4 of Mark, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although the other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. So as the story goes on, the disciples had fear. They were scared. And this means that this was an incredible storm because some of these guys were experienced fishermen. So they'd been on the lake before when they've seen these storms come up. This was a little bit different. They were fearing for their life. And still Jesus responds by not only rebuking the wind to stay still, but then he rebukes His disciples as well. Verse 39 When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Verse 40. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Or we could paraphrase and say, Who's in control? So they cross the lake as the story continues. We're going to go through this quickly because I don't think you want to be here for two hours. So we're just kind of follow with me. They cross the lake and as they cross the lake, they go to the other side of the lake and they come up upon this crazy guy. This guy is possessed and the people fear this guy. But Jesus goes in and he rebukes the demons out of this guy and he is freed from the demons. And the crowd around him who once feared this guy wouldn't even come into his presence because he's so possessed. Note this, in chapter five, verse 15, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Again, it is our response. They were all afraid. So then Jesus continues on this journey, and as he's going, he gets interrupted, and this guy sends his um, people. His daughter is sick. His name is Jairus, and he wants Jesus to come and heal her because he's afraid she's going to die. And so as Jesus is going on his way, because he said, sure, I'll go do that. This is really paraphrased here, so just keep following. He walks this way towards Jairus' house, and a woman who had been sick for a long time touches his robe, and she's healed. Now, you think there'd be an overwhelming sense of joy in her heart that she's been healed that she had some faith to go, maybe this guy will heal me. I'll just touch him. Verse 33 in chapter 5. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Fear even after she's been healed. Verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them, and then he says the kicker to Jairus, What does he say to Jarius? Make sure you reflect on that. This is Jesus not only speaking to Jarius, he's speaking to us today. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. God is greater. Than all the things we fear. God is greater than all the things we fear. These stories, as we went rapidly through chapter 4 and chapter 5 in Mark, these stories do not tell us we'll never experience sickness and we'll never experience death. What they tell us is that God is in control regardless of the circumstance. Whether it's something that sounds horrible, he is in control. If it's good, he is in control. Who's in control? Good or bad? And bad. He's in control. Think of the worst thing. We call it Good Friday, but the worst thing was that he died on the cross. Was he in control of that? So don't just go through your life and go, Oh, just the good things, God's in control. He's in control of the bad things too. Or I will go like this, what we classify as bad. He's in control. Jerry's daughter, getting a report that she's dead, is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'd say bad thing. But in this moment, Jesus says, I'm still in control. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. He will bring us safely home to his glory because we know that death does not have victory. The words in verse 41 are the same words that he says to us. Holding her hand, he said to her, to Lithia, which means, little girl, get up. And the moment that you think he's not in control it's the moment that he's reaching out his hand and saying, just get up. Stop cowering in fear and realize I've got the universe in my hand. And I know you. Stop Cowering in fear, I've got the universe in my hand. And I know you. I know you by name. So, what happens when you don't trust that God is in control? Usually bad things. (laughs) Bad things in the sense that you do bad things, you sin. Because you've just believed a lie. And behind every lie, behind every sin, is a lie. Behind every lie is obviously a sin. So you may try to take control. Have you ever tried to take control? Of course you have. And it's usually in harmful ways. Any manipulators out here? This is confession time. Manipulators? All right. What about... People who try to dominate others. They need dominators here. Say, just got to do it my way. Because then I can be in control. And then I don't have to worry about you messing it up. Right? So we do that to God, don't we? Um, Just move out of the way. Let me take control of this God. Because you'll probably make me try to do something I don't want to do. Or you may take something away from me that I don't want you to take. It may be painful for me, and I don't want that. So you try to manipulate. Or you may manipulate. This is how you do it with God. God, make me a faithful servant, but please don't do anything that I don't want you to do. Lord, help me to figure out how to be generous but I really do want that pay raise and I don't want to give anything to the church. So make everyone think I'm a good, good, generous person. You manipulate, right? Lord, I want to love my enemies, but not that one. Have you said, come on, you know you've said that. Everybody but that one. You don't understand that one? Really? Yeah. No, I'm not doing it. Or you may wear yourself out with busyness. Any busy bodies? Or frustration? Any frustrated people? You know those people? You might make your security and you building your own wealth bigger And more important, a bigger priority than God's kingdom. I think we fall on that quite a bit. We place God's kingdom, his rule, his authority, his ways aside so that we can build our own kingdom. Or you might begin to worry about your bills... Your child's education, your house, your clothes, your furniture, your job, your stuff. Money may become your main obsession. All because we believe our Father doesn't really know what we need. Hold your hand out do you believe he's got the whole universe in his hand? So why the heck don't you believe he'll make sure you have everything you need? There's nothing outside of this. Everything's his. And yet we still worry about these things. So Jesus goes to the heart of this problem of our our little faith. As unbelievers, we need to hear it and let him speak to our heart. This is in Luke chapter 12, verses 25 through 31. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of who's an unbeliever? Who's an unbeliever today? Just raise up your hand. It's going to be easier because I'm going to keep going until you all raise your hands. Who's an unbeliever today? Because we all worry about these things, don't we? Jesus is speaking to your heart today. He's in control. He knows you. He loves you. He, he says he cares for you. This is the God who holds the universe in the, his hand. And yet we have such little faith. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. I'll tell you that many times I get notes or emails or texts or whatever from someone who says, I've got to do this so I'm not going to be able to come to MC or come to worship and gather and do these things because I've got to do this. Because if I don't get this done, then, right, let's go down the list. Right? But I'll tell you what Jesus does, he turns everything upside down. Because when you seek the kingdom of God first, what does the word of God say? He will give you everything you need. When you seek the kingdom of God first, what will he do? So the confusing part is that you jump into this and you go, well, heck, I'm going to get on the new HBO now, and I'm just watching HBO for the rest of my life. But there's two parts on this. Seek the kingdom of God, and he will give everything you need. Seeking the kingdom of God means that you are seeking to love one another, right? Greatest commandment, love God, love the Lord your God, and love one another. Why do we let these other things take priority? So who's in control? Either you live in a fantasy where you believe you're in control. Any fantasy people here? We all are, right? But we're going to break it from that today. Because we know that really, God is in control. So I think our confession this morning is that I have believed a lie about God. I have believed, and this is where the deception comes in. This is where Satan is brilliant. So brilliant. I believe that God is in control of some things. Did you catch the deception? Oh, well, it sounds good, right? I believe that God is in control or of some things. How many of you believe that this is in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves? It's not in the Bible. It's not there. It's nowhere. In fact, it's kind of contrary. But people quote all the time, oh, well, God helps those who help themselves. No, because actually God holds the whole universe in his hand. So his reign falls on the wicked and on the righteous. He controls everything. So if you want to blame God for something, blame him. He's got big shoulders, he has everything in his hand. Does he allow things to happen? Yes, he does. But has he also allowed his son to die for us and rise again? Yes, he did. And with that, we have life. With that, we have hope and peace. With that we know that God is really in control. It's not just happenstance. It's not coincidence. Let's take a look at this video.
1: My name is Mark Alvis. I'm a musician, artist, and designer in Tacoma, and this is my story. About four years ago, I married a beautiful girl named Brittany started working at a local company as a designer and really took on the idea that my destiny was mine. I believed that I was in control and I would reward, receive the rewards of how hard I worked and how many hours I put into it. I didn't believe God was in control. I believe he gave talents and he gave opportunities and it was up to me to capitalize on that. We've always wanted to have a family. We've always wanted to be parents. But I was concerned that with my current job situation and job stress and the financial climate that I wanted to wait to have kids until I had all that taken care of and worked out. Turns out, we were expecting. Super awesome surprise. But even better than that, our first ultrasound, we found out we were gonna have twins. Insane, had no idea how we were gonna afford it. God continued to say to me, I alone am trustworthy. I am worthy of your trust. Trust me. So I just had to take God at his word. I said, Christ, I know I can trust in you. I do not know how we're going to provide for these twins, but I know that you've got it covered. So we walked forward in that. Two weeks later, I lost my job. Coming at home after that was a really tough time, but again, the Holy Spirit kept saying to me, I alone am trustworthy. Trust me, I will provide. I am God and I am in control. A week later, we received $3,000 as an inheritance check from my grandmother's passing. Totally unexpected. A week after that, we found out that Brittany was covered 100% under the state health care plan. The baby's pregnancy, birth, as well as their first year of life covered 100% every dime. I alone am trustworthy, Christ said. He provided every, every way. A week later, I got a phone call from an acquaintance saying, Mark, we have full-time work. We need a designer. It's a contract to hire a position what's your availability? I said, I'm free. So in a matter of two months, Christ had plucked me out of a poisonous work situation where I was hating people and hating life. He provided every step of the way. He supplied a debt-free platform. He canceled all of the debts that I had brought on ourselves. He had proved to me that he is God, he is in control, and he alone is trustworthy. God is great so that I do not have to be in control.
0: So how do we step into this? First thing that you do is you believe. Simple, right? You believe that God's word is true. You believe what Jesus says and what's recorded in Scripture is absolutely true. You believe it. You believe that God actually cares about you and your day-to-day life. And he wants you to step into his kingdom today. Leave the worry and all the things that we occupy our day with behind and instead step into his kingdom And know that he's got awesome things for us planned. Some hard things for us planned. But whether it's hard or difficult, tragic, glorious, awesome, whatever it is, he's there with us in control. Forming everything together. So on the day that he returns, we will all celebrate what He's done. Amen? So we believe. Second thing, we are thankful and we live thankful lives. We think about everything He's done in our life and we give thanks for it. From the littlest thing to the biggest thing. We thank Him on a daily basis. We walk in belief and we walk in thankfulness. We approach each day, third thing, with a perspective that God is in control. You wake up and you go, God, you are in control. If I lose my job today because I forgot a board member's name, you are in control. If I wake up and get a promotion today, God, you are in control. God, you're in control. And I believe in a God who is willing to risk everything for my life. And you say after you wake up in the morning, God, you are all that I need. So everybody together, God is all I need. God is all I need. We're going to close today with C.S. Lewis, great author, a great critical thinker. He says this, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job of each morning consists in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. The God of the universe not only holds the universe in his hand, but he declares your heart his home. He holds the universe in his hand and he declares your heart his home. Let him flow in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we ask that your spirit would pour into our life. Shove out the worries and the things that we constantly think of out. Allow us to let you be our counsel instead of dwelling upon the worries that crowd our heart. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our heart up with just you. Help us to fill our thoughts with the things that would be about your kingdom and not all the other things that we think we need to do, the approval we're trying to seek, the things that are trying to fill our appetite or the things we are going after for our ambition. Lord, change those things in our life and let the Spirit fill it instead. Lord, we pray that you'd also be with each of us this day as we work on letting go of the mysterious and false control that we try to grab onto and instead letting you remind us that you already are in control, whether we like it or not. Help us to submit to that authority and rule that you have in our life, knowing that it's not oppressive, but it's an invitation into a great and glorious life with you. In your name we pray. Amen.